It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Will Kane. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. The war in the Middle East could add billions to what the U.S. has already spent in Ukraine. It's crazy. It's nuts. Uh, <laughs> no. Ask, ask Americans who are barely making it, and that number seems to go up almost every single day, if we as a nation can afford two foreign wars right now. We speak with Fox Business's Charles Payne. I'm Dave Anthony. President Biden is in Israel today, and one of the Republicans running to replace him thinks the president is partly responsible for the conflict with Hamas. Now we're in a proxy war with Iran, and Joe Biden is shoveling billions of dollars either directly or by lifting sanctions on Iran to the people that are funding. He's funding both sides of this war. We speak with North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. And I'm Yonat Freeling. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Congress is expecting to get a supplemental funding request from the president covering multiple issues, including aid for Israel and Ukraine. There's a connection between all of this, and I... I'm not surprised, frankly, that the administration seems to be inclined to send up a broad package. And as my colleagues have pointed out, the border part of it needs to be credible. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell as Republicans push for border security measures with heightened concern about potential terror threats adding to frustration over the surge at the southern border. But the House remains paralyzed for now. No person having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. House Speaker nominee Jim Jordan falling short yesterday in the first full House vote for Speaker since Congressman Kevin McCarthy lost the gavel two weeks ago. It was a spending debate that helped lead to his ouster. Now the clock's ticking down to another potential shutdown showdown, with short-term government funding set to run out again next month. During an interview this week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the American economy is doing extremely well, telling Sky News the U.S. can absolutely provide military aid to both Israel and Ukraine. Yellen says America can certainly afford to stand with Israel and support Israel's military needs, and also can and must support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia. That was a shocker. Charles Payne is the host of Making Money with Charles Payne on Fox Business, also hosted the Unstoppable Prosperity podcast, and author of Unbreakable Investor, Build the American Dream in Any Economic Cycle. And I think the, I think she used a, a real frivolous word, like we're comfortable with it or something, you know, like, uh, <laughs> it's, no, uh, we can't. Uh, and... You know, if you ever read uh, you know, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, I'm pretty sure someone in there over there was saying that back in the day. No, we could afford it. Yeah. But listen, that's that's an unfortunate part when, the, when you're selling an agenda rather than really, truly being focused on on the economy. Uh, we we have some serious issues. So I thought it was a frivolous uh, comment that just really, really, you know, it, it stokes the ire of folks who are worried about, you know, the industrial military machine on one hand. On the other hand, it should make everyone concerned that uh, a government that is spending so recklessly right now that we can't even find that our bond yields are going through the roof, that wrecks everyone's future, everyone's future. We had a 40-year run where the bond yields had came down. 
uh, nice and steady. And uh, that might be turning around. It's, it's been stealthy. It's picking up now. People are noticing it. And, and now even on Wall Street, folks are connecting the dots between reckless government spending, high yields, and more economic pressure for everyone. And again, it's just really reckless that we can afford, cavalierly say we can afford two wars. It's crazy. It's nuts. Uh, <laughs> no, ask, ask Americans who are barely making it, and that number seems to go up almost every single day, if we as a nation can afford two foreign wars right now. Is any of this increasing awareness about the national debt and how it's a national problem, or is there still a long way to go before anything, you know, spurs change? I think it is increasing the awareness. Um, you know, what happened was in the 2007, 2008, there was a huge national awareness. Um, I did a lot of research on this, and uh, it became one of the things when people were asked in polls, like, you know, what's what are you most concerned about? It started to rank two, three, even, even occasionally number one. Well, that was 2007, 2008. Here we are in 2023. So it's almost like the boy who cried wolf to a degree. Like, well, we were warned before and it didn't happen. So, but people are going to know. I think there's no doubt about, people feel something is wrong. I mean, that's, it's the crux of why President Biden's uh, poll numbers are down. I mean, just two or three weeks ago, there was an ABC Washington Post poll, ABC Washington Post, <laughs> pro-Biden, that not only had him losing significantly to, to President Trump, but the economic part of it, every single economic question was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, and, and so people know something is wrong. Some are connecting the dots. More will, I think, in the future. Two recent surveys that I saw worldwide, even people having financial anxiety, literally losing sleep over money as inflation went up. And then Owl Labs found nearly half of employed Americans that it surveyed, 46 percent, had at least one additional job outside their full time job. Like what is recovery going to look like? How do we even find that path? The one word uh, that was used uh, last year by Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve in uh, the big gathering they have in Wyoming was pain. He used it a couple times, and uh, he deliberately used the word because uh, most folks who have been around, a lot of economists who have seen this before, believe we need some form of economic reset. Easy money was sloshing around out there for a long time, low interest rates. Then you layered that on with trillions and trillions of dollars in free money the stimulus checks, and and not just stimulus checks, but you don't have to pay your rent for a year. You don't have to pay your student loans, you know, and all of that money became spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Which in general terms is usually good for the economy, right, when they're spending. Well, Economics 101, though, says if there's too much supply, you know, too much demand over and not enough supply, that's how we, that's how we triggered 40-year high inflation because mm-hmm. it was artificial. So interesting because Axios had a piece this week and China suggests that because we spend our money faster than everyone else, that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. I mean, you know, it's good. It's good if you want to live a good life in the moment. Uh, YOLO, you know, uh, you only live once. If you want to be addicted to these things and keeping up with the Kardashians today, that's fine. Go out there, go on a trip, rent a condo, rent a, uh, get you an Airbnb, but you'll never own a home. In the long run, which one is better? Which one creates a foundation for you and your family? In the long run. In the short one, you had a great time. In the long run, 
You'll be sitting at home, 70 years old, in an apartment by yourself, and your kids and your grandkids will be wondering how they're going to make it. So, and here's the thing. The government knows what it's doing when it does these kind of things. I, I'll never forget it. It has to be like almost 20 years now. Janet Yellen, when Obama was president, um, they were pushing some extra food stamp stuff. And she said, listen, there's a, a, a multiplier effect. So if we give people one extra dollar in food stamps, for every dollar extra they get, they'll spend another 50 cents. So when you put $2 trillion out there, $3 trillion out there, people will spend other money. I mean, you go to the mall with 1200 bucks, you see a couple of pairs of sneakers for 600 each, you buy them. Then you look over at the counter and see something for 300 You know, you go ahead and buy that. You put that on the card. Mm-hmm. So now the credit cards are at all-time high. Uh, levels and the interest rates are all time high. The Federal Reserve is trying to arrest inflation, which is still significantly high. I mean, yeah, we've come down from 9.1 to 3.7, but uh, I pulled up a chart the other day of the last 10 years, and there's not anything there close to a three handle on there. So even at 3.7, this is significantly higher than the whole generation has ever seen. Your new book sounds like a ray of hope in uncertain times. Unbreakable investor. How can investors better weather economic cycles? The main thing for me in the book is to control the emotional part of investing, particularly for new investors, because um, I've seen this over and over. I have my own research firm for over 30 years. I've been helping individual investors for three, over almost four decades because I was an analyst and a broker before that. Um, the emotional part of it. So how do we control those emotions? Well, you got to understand history. You have to understand the history of the market. You have to know what you own because I don't really like to even say play the market or even play a look at a stock symbol. Essentially, what I want people to do is own great companies at discounted prices. And we want to learn how to manage them, manage this portfolio. So I talk about the X's and O's of investing, but also the Ray of Hope side. I got a great chapter on the Roaring 2020s mm-hmm. that I think we could pull off. Obviously, the fourth industrial revolution and what's happening with that, with AI and robots and all of these sort of things. I have a whole chapter on the Federal Reserve, which is now has so much power. It's just too much. And I'm so concerned about that. And I think at some point it could even become a political, you know, become political. Uh, and, and that would supersede what their supposed mandates are. Uh, I do a chapter on Warren Buffett because he is what I call the original diamond hands mm-hmm. and uh, how he made uh, the early bulk of his fortune on Coca-Cola when nobody else wanted to own the stock. So I'm really excited about it. I really think, uh, you know, I, my last book before this was Unstoppable Prosperity, and I think they go hand in hand with each other. But to have unstoppable prosperity, you have to be able to live through the rough periods of time. You have to be an unbreakable investor. And, you know, and the main way, the only way to be that is to understand what you own. And so that you may not making these panicky moves and then even the next step, take advantage of everybody else making those panicky moves. You have, and you've done this before, but you've got the Unbreakable Investor Town Hall happening um, 2 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business on Thursday. Just real quick, when you have these town halls, what top concerns are you hearing from people? Uh, they're all afraid for different reasons. It's fear. That's the main thing. I'm afraid of X because I'll lose all my money. I'm afraid of Y because I'll lose all my money. It always boils down to some sort of fear that ultimately leads them to losing all of their money. And, you know, often I'm like, listen, honestly, if you bought Apple 
You think by the time you die, Apple will still be in business? <laughs> I hate to put it to you this way, but they'll still be around, okay? Uh, Microsoft will still be here. You ain't got to worry about, you know, losing all of your money in certain stocks, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that means the only true harsh, hardcore mistakes you can make is your own emotions. And, and so um, that's the main thing. Um, and, but my whole thing now is just uh, so funny. The hottest thing out there, the hottest phrase, one of them is generational wealth. What I love is I'm hearing a lot of young people talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone's, everyone wants generational wealth, which is amazing. It's beautiful. But it's not just wealth. It doesn't just begin with a lot of money. It begins with a set of ethos that you can transfer to you, the next generation along with the money. And so that's the part that's always missing. You know, yeah, you can get the money, but if you don't manage it properly, it's going to be gone. And also for me, empowering them. The biggest thing is that people don't realize how smart they are. They just don't know how much they know. You don't need to wait for a Wall Street analyst to tell you that a company is a great stock when you were telling your friends to buy their product six months earlier. <laughs> you really don't, you know? I, I used to do this thing years ago when uh, Coors was the hot retailer. I don't know if you remember, they had these big watches and the, and the women were wearing them outside big watches and everybody wanted Coors. Back then it was like, hey, yeah, you graduated from coach to Coors. <laughs> and I would hear it in the elevator or in the cafeteria, Coors, Coors. And I would always butt in. That's, oh man, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You own the stock? Conversation stops. <laughs> and never once did one person own the stock. Wow. So they were putting their hard-earned money into the product. They became an unpaid spokesperson. And they still didn't think they should be owner of the company. Charles Payne, we can learn so much from you <laughs> all the time. Um, host of Making Money with Charles Payne on Fox Business. Also host of the Unstoppable Prosperity podcast. And uh, now author of the new book, Unbreakable Investor. Thank you so much, Charles, for spending some time. Appreciate it. Thanks. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is You're Not Freeling with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. President Biden is on the war front, visiting Israel showing American support for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who's waging war against Hamas for a 12th day in Gaza after the terror attack earlier this month. This is not only our battle, it is our common battle, the battle of civilization against barbarism. Uh, and if it's not stopped here, this savagery will reach you very soon. As militants fire rockets from Gaza and Lebanon at Israel, Iran is warning if Israel doesn't stop bombing Gaza, a preemptive strike could be coming. President Biden will underscore our crystal clear message to any actor, state or non-state, trying to take advantage of this crisis to attack Israel. Don't. That is Secretary of State Antony Blinken when he was in Tel Aviv before going to Jordan to meet with the Palestinian leader yesterday. I think it doesn't matter where Joe Biden is. The reason why we're in this mess is because of the policies. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum is one of the Republicans running to unseat President Biden in 2024. If you're going to give $6 billion to 
the world's largest supporter of terrorism in exchange for five Americans. You just made the world less safe. You basically put a price tag on hostages. And I said to my team, the second that came out, I said, well, guess what? Now that we're subsidizing American hostage taking, we're going to see more hostage taking. And when you keep subsidizing, and then this summer, uh, unbeknownst to everybody, people aren't even paying attention. What happened? Iranian oil exports started skyrocketing and they're selling their oil. I mean, over a million barrels. So the sanctions were basically being lifted by the Biden administration because they weren't being enforced. So they have all that money pouring in. That's way bigger than the $6 billion. And who's buying it? China's buying it because China is refilling their strategic petroleum reserve. And then Iran, we know, is supplying armed drones to Russia. So guess what? We're in a cold war with China. We're in a hot proxy war with Russia. We're in, now we're in a proxy war with Iran. And Joe Biden is shoveling billions of dollars either directly or by lifting sanctions on Iran to the people that are funding. He's funding both sides of this war. And but so the administration would, governor says that not a penny of that money was spent and that that money has not been involved in what's going on with Hamas at all. Yeah, well, it's just, I mean, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, that's such a joke. I mean, it's so impossible that they would actually stand in front of a microphone and say that because, of, I mean, I guess if you've never worked a day in the private sector, you wouldn't understand about the fungibility of dollars. If we give them $6 billion for humanitarian, that frees up $6 billion to go towards funding terrorism. And we know that they, the Iranians were involved in these attacks, plotting them for over a year. And so, again, he, he can go... The president and, denies that. He says that... Well, no, he, he said that they haven't uncovered that exact link yet or whatever it was. Yeah, so, okay. Does anybody believe that? I mean, but again, this is the problem. There's no credibility because we know that they have been working on a path of appeasement that goes all the way back to the Obama administration. The same woke somehow idea that if we appease this regime, which is oppressing its own people, that somehow the world is going to be safer and more stable. Everybody's got to ask themselves, not just Americans, but if you're an Israeli, if you're a Ukrainian, if you're anywhere in Western Europe, you know, where energy prices have gone through the roof, ask yourself if you're better off today than you were when Joe Biden took office. Because no, you're paying more for everything because of inflation. The world is less stable because of his appeasement policies. And then we're in this the thing which we have to change. We're basically now with lifting sanctions sanctions on Venezuela yesterday, which is completely also crazy. You know, they're pursuing a path, call it America last, call it what you want to call it, but they're basically saying, instead of us selling energy to our friends and allies, which would stabilize the world and improve the environment, we're buying oil and gas from our enemies. Gas prices are down like 30 cents in a month, though, they might point out. So (laughs) they might say that they're having some success fighting inflation, bringing prices down. Yeah, well, they're trying to kill the U.S. energy industry, and then they're trying to solve the supply problem by having foreign suppliers like Venezuela and like Iran put their barrels onto the world market, which are produced less cleanly than ours. And at the same time, they've got this facade of trying to hold on to some voters saying, oh, we're the clean, we're the green party. You know, the Biden administration, vote for us. We're trying to clean up the environment, which is just also a complete joke, because if you're going to switch to an EV battery that's subsidized by other hardworking taxpayers, and you're going to subsidize those cars, but not subsidize the workers, aka the UAW strike. But China controls 85% of the rare earth minerals in the world. They're called rare earth for a reason, because they're measured in parts per million. And so that China's tearing up the whole planet, whether it's Indonesia, whether it's Africa, to get these, you know, child labor in a cobalt mine in Africa so that we can buy a subsidized battery. But you know where that battery is made in China? It's made in a plant powered by coal. The Washington Post ran an article last week praising China about their their faster shift to EVs and how great this was. And the whole article never mentioned that every one of those cars is being charged by electricity generated in a coal plant. Would President Burgum change the trajectory 
toward EVs. I know there are a lot of states that want, by 2035, all new vehicles to be electric. Well, I just would ask, you know, states can pass their own laws. If they want to pass, you know, brownout and blackout laws for their grid, if they want to saddle everybody in their state with something that is less green, at more expensive, destabilizes the grid, uh, and it and drives, you know, every hospital and every place else to have to put in a diesel generator because the grid is so destabilized. If you want to do that, I imagine states could do that, but it's not good for national security. You can't get a clean natural gas pipeline from the Marcellus in Pennsylvania up into New England. That's a national security issue when we're at a point we're heading towards World War III and we still have parts of our country that are importing foreign oil. Bad for the environment, bad for inflation, bad for working families, bad for American jobs. And and again, as we've seen now, it's bad for the world order and stability. I mean, all these policies, economy, energy, national security, 180 degrees in the wrong. When I'm your president, we we can fix all this stuff and fix it quickly. You said we're headed toward World War III. We have the Hamas conflict. You've referenced Ukraine. You are a governor of a state that it's not a you know, small population compared to other states in the, in the country. You're running against someone who was the president, Donald Trump, who was the vice president, Mike Pence, someone who was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley. Foreign policy is a big deal right now. You're a governor. How do you stand up against them on those policies? I'd happy to debate any of them on foreign policy because guess what? I've had people working for me in over 100 countries around the world. I've had customers in 132 countries when I was a kid, when we were building a software company. I've had people that worked for me in those countries that didn't have the right to vote, didn't have the right to assemble, uh, didn't, didn't have the right to free speech. I understand how great America is, and I understand how the world economy works. We've got people on that stage that have never worked a day in the private sector. I don't care what they say their Washington experience is. Washington mm-hmm. got us into all these messes. Energy's at the heart of this. They're not from energy states. You know, we need food security. These people have barely been on a farm and a ranch. Technology's changing every job, every company, and every industry, and they've never worked a day in technology. So, again, when, when I say literally the most qualified guy on the stage is the least known one, that's me. And we've got to keep making our case to the American people because absolutely positively uh, that this... I've got the qualifications, the experience, the capability to do that, and then take it right back to North Dakota. Guess who's got one of the largest nuclear arsenals in the country, the state of North Dakota? Guess who's got two of the three legs of the strategic triad, uh, the Minot Air Force Base, both bomber and missile wing. Guess who's leading all the, you know, the Global Hawk, global worldwide. Grand Forks, that's the Grand Forks Air Force Base and the Minot Air Force Base. So all of these things that we understand, and national security also starts with border security. I've been down to the border more than Biden has, and we've had, had North Dakota National Guard troops at the border throughout my time as governor, and they're down there flying night helicopter missions between, you know, San Diego and the Gulf Coast trying to stop transnational you know, or criminal organizations. What so, would you do at the border differently to change the record surge we've had of illegal crossings? Well, it has to be a full-fledged diplomatic, informational, military, and economic, all those things together. But I'd start with just the law enforcement. When I'm down there talking to the Border Patrol, anybody down there that has an option to take early retirement has done it. Because guess what? They basically are being defunded by the Biden administration. Positions that open up aren't being refilled. They can't get money to fix up security at where we're supposed to have regular legal ports of entry. And I know this, we're a border state, 365 miles on the northern border. They're pulling people off the northern border. And so we've got got border crossings that are closed in North Dakota because they're trying to pull staff to fill holes on the southern border. And you talk to the law enforcement, the border patrol, guess, guess who's not on the border? 
the Border Patrol. Guess what they're doing? Paperwork, not computer work, paperwork. Six and a half million people have come across under Joe Biden. And we don't know where they are. I mean, give them a piece of paper, bus ticket, away you go. And then you're down there meeting with them. There's another thing on their metric board called known gotaways. Known gotaways is a million and a half. Those are ones we've seen on camera that haven't received asylum paper. They've just walked in. We don't know who they are. And then there's another number. Which is does which is a, not available called unknown gotaways because the bad guys disable our cameras, the border patrol is okay. back doing paperwork. The bad guys cross in the places where there's no cameras. The sec- sector I was in in Texas, over a hundred different countries, including every country that's on, got people on the terrorist watch list. And then of course we're taking mass casualties because we've lost the equivalent of five Vietnams in the country to drug overdoses since he took office. I mean, we're closing in on 270,000 American deaths, overdoses, 70% of those are fentanyl poisonings. And so this is, uh, you know, I'll be down on the border in the first two weeks. Joe Biden took him two years to get there. You know, what if there's already a Hamas cell that's come across as part of this thing? They were planning this attack on Israel for more than a year. They've had two and a half years to get people into our country unknown. Uh, I'm afraid we're gonna be paying the terrorist price in our own country because of this open border policy. Lastly, you mentioned you were the least known candidate. We've had two debates already. We have another one three weeks away in Miami. Higher thresholds for polling, higher thresholds for donations and donors and unique donors to the campaign. Are you going to be there? We'll be there. And we've, we've crossed the threshold for Iowa and New Hampshire uh, and the donor threshold. All so we've got, oh, you mean donors or 4%, you mean? Donors and above 4% in Iowa and New Hampshire. So we've crossed all those three and we've got left as the national polling. Is it frustrating to see the polls and you're not there yet in the national stage? Well, I, I think on the national one, again, this is artificially trying to narrow the field before the voters get to. And, you know, I tell you, people in Iowa, New Hampshire, not happy about the the nationalization of the primary because they are the ones that are out there, you know, spending time with voters in their homes, in their backyards, at local town halls, you know, seeing candidates multiple times. They're the ones that are going to get to decide. And 98% of the delegates are still available after New Hampshire. We know five out of seven times in both Iowa and New Hampshire, who was leading a month out, wasn't the person that ended up uh, with the nomination. And so there's a lot of things that can happen between uh, now and then, and we're looking forward to keep getting our name. We're the least well-known. When our name recognition goes up, our polling numbers go up. We'd be in the low teens right now if we had the same name recognition as some of these other folks that have 100% name recognition. Well, we'll keep following you on the campaign trail. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, Republican presidential candidate, thanks very much for joining us again. Fantastic. Great to be with you. And in other news, I'm Gianna Jalosi. Halloween was right around the corner, and one of the biggest draws of the season are those haunted houses. But according to a new survey, one in six Americans don't have to travel very far because they say their house is haunted. And more than two in five say they've experienced some eerie encounters in their home. Those numbers coming from a survey by All Star Home. 42% say they felt a presence they couldn't see. 37% say they heard unusual voices or footsteps. And 19% say they've actually seen ghosts. The most common paranormal experiences people reported in their homes were those strange sounds, animals acting weirdly, figures of ghosts or strange shadows, lights turning on and off, strange voices, and unexplained or unusual smells. Though basements and attics get a bad rep, of the 1,000 people surveyed, nearly half reported a weird encounter in the bedroom, with about a quarter saying it happened in the living room, kitchen, or hallway. Only about 12% say they experienced unusual activity in the basement. Still, nearly a quarter of those surveyed said 
they would be willing to buy a haunted house. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. You're not freelance. What's on your mind? I have been working in the news for almost 25 years. I've always dreamt of being a journalist and one of the fortunate ones to do what they love most. And while I cannot imagine myself doing anything else, I've realized what a huge toll it has on my life. The most disturbing thing I've ever seen since the Hamas attack of October 7th is too horrible to describe. Like most people in Israel since the attacks on Saturday morning, either know someone who was murdered, kidnapped, or currently fighting Hamas. Each story we hear is more unfathomable than the other, more disturbing. The scenes in Israel since the Hamas attack is grim. Most of the towns and communities are empty. The streets are silent, shops are closed, and there are no people are walking around. There is a heavy army and police presence, and the smoke from rockets and airstrikes fill the air. And there's no resemblance to the vibrant lifestyle that was there just a few days ago. I am at loss for words to describe what I feel. It takes courage to admit your flaws and vulnerability. But as one of my favorite scholars and authors, Dr. Brené Brown from the University of Houston says, when we are vulnerable, it is the greatest measure of courage. Every moment of every assignment is etched into my skin and soul with an invisible scar. I'm not alone. Like me, there are brave women and men cameramen, producers, and correspondents who travel the world from one chaotic event to the other. We jump on the plane at a moment's notice to cover wars, natural disasters, and terror attacks. We are there for a limited time and then move on to our next assignment, but their faces and testimonies stay with us forever. Like the police, the fire and medical services, military personnel and rescue workers, Journalists are professional first responders to crises and disaster. Apart from the journalists in the field, there are those in the newsrooms, our colleagues, who may be subjected to secondary trauma when repeatedly exposed to distressing images and experiences, even if they are not on the scene. Many times when we meet each other again in different war zones or another place, we hug and carry on. We rarely talk about what we experience. We surround ourselves with armor, similar to the blue vest we wear in conflict zone, and we fear what others will think if we show we are vulnerable. It takes a huge toll, professionally, mentally, and physically on our lives. It impacts our close circles at home, family, work, and friends. We need to talk about it, share, and stop fighting the shame and vulnerability surrounding this issue. We should be compassionate and kinder with ourselves just as we are with the people we meet in the field. We must find a way to change the narrative around mental health. We should build better programs for journalists on coping during, after, and before such assignments. This is Yonat Rilling, Fox News Middle East Senior Field Producer. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.